0: Welcome to the Beyond 3D podcast, where we explore all things 3D and the important role that 3D data plays throughout the manufacturing process, driving decisions throughout a product's life cycle. Here, we talk with industry analysts, business owners, developers, and industry influencers, and hear real stories that you can relate to and learn from, and know which trends and technologies apply to your business. So join us as we go Beyond 3D.
1: Thought a good place to start would be intros. You probably saw my email with uh, LinkedIn profiles to help give some context for everybody. But a, qu- a quick, you know, one or two minute intro who you are and what your company does would be good. I, you all know me. I'm Ron Fritz, CEO of TechSoft 3D, supplying technology to most of you guys and maybe eventually all of you guys. And um, yeah, it's great to be able to pull pull a group like this together to maybe provide some good ideas and perspectives to each other. I'm gonna go clockwise from the way that they're all lined up for me. So Daniel, can you introduce yourself?
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, hello everyone. Um, My name is Daniel, Um, I'm located in Germany and I'm the founder and managing director of a company called Elise. Elise is a pretty young startup founded two years ago with a big vision. We want to uh, change the way how engineer works in the future. Probably some of you have the same vision. And um, yeah, I mean, our North Star is somehow Jarvis to, to find uh, yeah an algorithm which helps you designing better paths. And for that, uh, we think the main challenge is to rethink how engineer works instead of um, yeah sketching uh, lines and do some extrusion into a more into a direction of building your algorithm, which is able later on to generate the part automatically. So our users more design an algorithm and then the algorithm is able to generate the part.
1: More in a way that kind of nature works, the way nature designs things in a way. Yeah, great. Uh, How about you, Sam?
3: Yeah, uh, Sam Burgess, uh, CEO of Samsung VT. We're probably just a little bit bit older than Daniel's uh, gang really, but not by much. And um, we've been going for about three years now. And um, we look to uh, change the way people um, look at and manage assets through their life cycle. And we do that in two ways. Uh, In one way, we use immersive technologies, uh, where we look to replace technical publications, uh, the sort of paper-based, PDF-based technical publications. We've got a scalable, immersive content application that replaces the 2D line drawings with exploded diagrams. Uh, and work instructions and we're we're currently looking at doing that at sort of mass scale Uh, and we've taken some huge steps towards automating that in in its entirety and uh, the second way we looked at sort of help organisations with their asset lifecycle management is with data science and we've got a a scalable anomaly detection application that we're working with a major uh, FTSE 250 organisation at the moment Um, that's that's Hopewell. We're on the verge of signing a contract that will mean that We're the sole provider of anomaly detection to this smart factor application, which which has been a a huge deal for us. So, uh, yeah, that's me. Great.
1: That's great. Uh, How about you, Paul? Are you uh, in a position to introduce yourself? It looks like you're – there you go.
4: Boom. Yeah. Uh, Paul Powers, uh, CEO and, co- and uh, founder of FISMA. So we have um, FISMA short for physical DNA, and we basically normalize 3D data from different sources, and we um, make it searchable, and we're able to show relationships between 3D parts. So we have two products. We have the enterprise product, which is the what we sell to companies and then we have the uh recently called thanks.com which is a consumer product and it essentially acts like a combination of uh google and github if you will you can search 3d models um throughout the web not just ones that have been uploaded by the community but also from different suppliers and you can collaborate with others in real time so you can do things like import models that are for 3d printing or for uh, come out of cad right into ar for for instance you can um, see how models relate you can identify um, changes that happen between them and uh, that's been growing really quickly, so it's been uh, a really exciting journey. Great, and you're based in Cincinnati, right? Cincinnati, Columbus, yeah. yeah.
1: Gotcha.
5: How
1: about you, Mike?
6: So I'm Mike Mosher, I'm the founder and CEO of MakerOS. We are essentially if Monday.com met with Shopify and with you know engineering quoting management software. So kind of bundle that up, and we provide the and friends. all three of them had a baby
1: together. Exact. exactly. Come on, that's a family show, Mike. Usually,
6: usually, Ron, I say, you know, Shopify, Monday.com and, and Autodesk. But more recently, I'm saying, well, no, Techsoft, because really, Techsoft <laughs> is the, the precursor to a lot of that stuff. So we provide the, the front-end business interface between clients and engineers, designers, and fabricators. So all of the intake of RFQs, RFPs, quoting, and all of the project management is shared in a client portal. And that client can see the progression of all their projects. Uh, But we also provide, you know, with integration of of hoops, we have the ability to uh, do some really interesting things with our quoting engine and the ability to have that all customized based on any additive technology. And we're moving towards, you know, other 3D production technologies with CNC and 2D laser cutting, plasma cutting and, and such. So Ultimately, our, our goal is to be able to be the true, you know, all-in-one business operating software for anybody that design prototypes or produces something, either as a service or who has an internal lab or production facility. Uh, but the way that the company got started, I originally started a uh, a couple of businesses out of Chicago, where one of them was one of the world's first 3D printing uh, retail service bureau, where we're all familiar with what happened in in 2013 with the huge hype cycle and the the bubble in the stock market with public companies, but the the retail aspect was the lost leader to service the service bureau, and in that experience, you know, I realized small fabricators have a hard time scaling their business, and usually the only way to do that is with capex of investing in more machines, people, or you know, big infrastructure on software that's not custom fit for them. So that's when I moved to Detroit and uh, started another company focused on aerospace, medical, and automotive for for additive, and we prototyped the system internally for ourselves, which then we spun that out of that service bureau to be a a SaaS product.
5: Mm -hmm.
1: Gotcha. So I know not every company is brand, brand new. Like, There was some pre-COVID times. There was during the COVID pandemic times, which I guess are not really quite over, but Nonetheless, you were in a really interesting phase. Everybody was in a growth phase during the shutdown. I want to start with talking about company culture, something that I'm slightly obsessed with, and the like. Those early years are so important for kind of creating the flavor of that stew. That's gonna, you know, no matter what comes in later, that early culture really is hard to change. And so, um, I'm interested to hear what challenges people had with. How do you establish what's the culture of our company? What are we about when people are not really able to get together and you're and you're kind of growing rather quickly? And then what would you do about it?
3: got if I will jump in first. So we we sort of scaled on the first of April last year, we had we had like three, four people. We're now at 20, uh, nearly 20. So we recruit, we, we've we have when I say we're three years old, there was for a couple of about two of those years, there was probably like me and Ed was the other co-founder. Um, chipping away, so we've we've really uh, we've really grown in the last twelve months, and I, I think it's probably fair being totally honest with ourselves. We don't know what our culture is yet because our culture has been so online that there's still people I've not met uh, in my in mm-hmm. the business who've been working for us for, for seven eight months now, uh, and I've still not met them in person. Um, in the UK, I'm based in Manchester in England, and uh, we're just starting to or legally we're not allowed uh, back at all. We should only be in the office. if if absolutely necessary so and there's a lot of fear i think among people certainly in england that the second wave uh, obviously we've got very close ties to india and, and seen that the horrific scenes out in india at the moment and people are really really nervous about getting back into the office and getting back to some, some kind of normality so i'm um, I, I think our, our culture at the moment is is a is a, is a is a more of a workaholic culture because most people haven't had anything else to do with their time a lot of our demographics. I, um, not many of the guys have kids um so lots of them are single. we've got a lot of young, you know a couple of young developers in the 20s lots of people in the 20s so because all the pubs have been short no one's been able to do anything we, we, we we've sort of come out of this with a well it depends on which way you look at it some might say an horrific work ethic in that people yeah. have put in some monster hours over the last six months and uh um, yeah. and we we had a we had a business update yesterday, and, and you know, within the handbook, it says that you know we should finish at two o'clock on a Friday, and no one has done that yet. Uh, and you, mm-hmm. know, you want to try. Now we're coming out of this COVID lockdown. You know, we want to try and do. You know, like you know, we were on joke about riding bikes. You know, I want to go. I think ride my bike on a Friday afternoon because mm-hmm. it makes me healthy and I'm happy, and my wife appreciates it when, I, when I've been when I'm in a better mood, and, and we should all be doing it. So. So I think for us, really, we've we've not yet really defined our culture. Our culture has been a bit obscured, and it's a it's a culture of workaholics at the moment. And we want to that balance is tipped maybe a little bit in the wrong way. So we're looking to try and rebalance that whenever it starts to get back.
2: And one question: uh, Are all the new employees you've got uh, still located in the same area, or is it like they're all over the place?
3: So we, it's a bit of both, really. So we. So before, if you'd have asked me that, if you'd have asked me the question last year, you know, what's the criteria for the new starters? You know, being sort of uh, being local to the office would have been would have been you know probably you know within the commuting distance would have been one of the most important factors. That has totally changed now for sure. And um, while I, I see the I, I see I see the negatives of of working uh, remotely, there are also some huge benefits as well. And 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 I think we're going to move into some kind of hybrid. How how that will work, yeah, I don't really know, but we're for sure we're going to move into that hybrid method. And I think I think once we get back to some kind of normality, people start to, to live their lives again, I think that will have a huge benefit. You know, people not sat in traffic for an hour and a half trying to get into an office when they could work at home. Mm-hmm. That that now just seems so ridiculous that we ever did that, you know, in the times of the internet. So, you know, and I wouldn't want to do that, so I wouldn't want to ask my, my guys and the team to do that. So. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
5: Well, uh, Paul, what's your, been
1: your experience in terms of trying to say what's the FISNA company culture all about?
4: It's been uh, very similar in the sense that over the past year, we've hired, I mean, we've uh, grown our team considerably. We're over forty people, going on fifty right now. And when we started this, we were more like twenty. We it, it, so much has happened since COVID broke out. It's crazy. I would agree with the. Uh, workaholic statement. There's not a whole lot to do when you can't go anywhere and you can't do anything and you can't meet anybody. So people kind of be. Um, it's. I, I'm actually kind of shocked at how effective we've all been. Um, I definitely work just as hard, if not much harder, than uh, I did before because I don't even have the time driving to the office to not focus on work. I mean, there's always something I can be doing, and um, I think that's true for kind of ever been in the company. We've been very productive. Um, I think what the culture has really been you know, I wouldn't say that we haven't found it. We we, we have a culture, but um, and it's, I would say one of what aligns us in the culture is I think the, the alignment in terms of the goals of the company. We are, we're very ambitious. We're very hardworking and um, we have really audacious goals and we are really good at actually hitting those. And so when the, you know, the culture that you have to have for that, I think is the one that we've, we've implemented, which is, you know, we're very supportive of one another. We celebrate wins. We celebrate each other. You know, we encourage each other forward, we help each other out. Um, it's a very positive environment, but, you know, there are elements of culture that you, I can't say are present because you don't have them when you're working remotely. Like you don't have, you know, the, the small talk interactions as much as you would have if you were in the, um, the actual office. So um, very, very similar experience throughout this whole thing. But I'm kind of shocked at how effective we've been able to handle it and, uh, and very similar to um, what he was saying. In terms of our broken down, uh, they're all over the country now. And uh, I would say the, the overwhelming majority of our, uh, our employees, I've never actually met in person because I never had the chance to. Crazy. Mm-hmm.
0: That
1: is crazy. We'll come back to that in a minute on the hiring. But, um, Mike, now that you took a sip of something and need time to swallow it, I'll, I'll <laughs> stall for a second. What has it been at, at maker OS in terms of? Like, how do you, there's there's a way you want it to be, right? There's a way you want it to, to feel around there. How do you get that across in a virtual world? I mean,
6: the funny thing is, is right as COVID was starting, Ron was in New York, and you and I got That's right. And like
1: days before the world shut down. We were about
6: yep. taking hands. So we were, you know, kind of, <laughs> um, yeah. or right as you were, you know, visiting our office, we were just hiring quite a few new people in the pandemic, in the pandemic we had basically a year basically or two of people uh, just onboarded and then all of a sudden, you know, they're now remote. So that kind of, it it felt like there was going to be a, a, a wrench in the gears. I mean, their onboarding wasn't tough. It was more so just mentally for everybody adjusting to, you know, what was going on, especially, you know, being in New York and and everything going yeah. on. But. In general, I think, you know, beyond that, the culture before and after has remained just being extremely adaptable for really whatever happens. So that's the advantage of, you know, having one, a smaller team, but also that you look to hire, have a proven track record or ability that have uh, been in different hands. So I, I really like hiring Developers, or biz dev people, or marketing people who have worked different roles other than what their main profession is, which allows them to essentially go from, you know, marketing hat one day and then you know going into development another day. Which, you know, through the pandemic, uh, we obviously had you know different issues with customers going out of business and things like that. So that allowed us to more quickly identify, iterate, and test and adapt to different market conditions and then different uh, needs that our our clients needed or a different target audience. And, you know, some of our employees, too, you know, also left New York for a while. I I personally left New York for a little while to go back to uh, Detroit and ran the business literally out of closet, uh, closet. You know, with everybody out of the apartment that we had in in uh, Detroit, and every, everybody else was just everywhere around the country. Sometimes I didn't even know where they actually were, um, which was totally fine. Everybody logged on, was doing their work, getting it done. And the way that we got through it was really, you know, everybody's got a really great sense of humor about everything. So, you know, we would always we we all love to try to make sure to laugh. So every single morning we have this kind of a ritual where we try to send the funniest gift you can find. It goes into the general chat in our, in our Slack. And we have game time Fridays where people log on, we'll choose a game uh, that we'll all play online together. So kind of good team bonding, which we, we did that even pre-pandemic too. So you know even when we were in the office, it'd be like one big LAN party, but that was easy to kind of transfer over uh, culturally. And I think the the other that, that we really kind of, or at least that I try to instill in everybody is just trust in everybody. I think that's that's a huge deal. Um, because of, you know, everything being so uncertain, everybody's, you know, worried about their jobs, worried about everything else going on in the world. And you kind of have to be, you know, as a founder of, of the company, not just the, the stoic leader, but also the person in the trenches with them. And everybody feeling like they've got their buddies back, um, so I think that's been that's been the biggest advantage to us. Uh, other than adaptability, everybody just kind of trusting
5: in each other. At least, you know, in terms of trying to make at least something, you know, you probably have a vision in, in mind. Like we want this company to feel like this, even as we get bigger. Daniel, so yeah. you know, How do you guys deal with that?
2: Yeah, we had one big advantage. Um, seven people of us we already know each other since 10 years because we we somehow are a spin-off from an institute so we already know the culture between these seven were already settled pretty much uh for sure we wanted to to sharpen it and uh, we also hired a lot uh, over the last year so at the moment we are uh, roughly 25 to 30 a little bit depends if you count the freelancers as well or not but yeah what are the main or how did we did or what what did we try to to keep our our uh, culture i mean we had one another good thing at least in germany the summer last year was not too bad so we were at least able to invite people to the office and we made some tech teams that only a couple of guys were in the office and so at least that the new persons have the possibility to meet every day a new person. But yeah, this also changed in, in the in the week before last year. So we also have some fully remote hires, as you also have mentioned. It. Um, yeah, I mean, what we're doing. I think everybody doing a similar way. So we have a lot of online events. We have coffee talks. We have uh, we we are uh, we have a guy or a role in our company called uh, Chief Fun Officer CFO. And uh, this one got elected every six months and he has to get a bad budget and he has tried to, to yeah, also to make these kind of events you, you mentioned before. And yeah, but now the, the it's they have a more tougher job, let's say this way, because uh, yeah, to reinvent the wheel in the remote world is also not so easy. So yeah, to find something what people like and don't like. On, yeah. yeah, what else? Yeah, we are doing, we're also changing a little bit our philosophy. So we are hiring all over the place in Germany at remote. Um, We also tested this with some people outside of Germany, but at least in German law situation, there's a problem because you have to set up all the tax legal stuff for every different country and it's pretty expensive. Uh, Luckily, I found a service uh, or I got a service uh, recommendation last week. I was not aware of this kind of uh, startups. There's a startup called Remote or Motion Work, so they set everything up for you, and you just say, "Okay, I want that this guy uh, sits in London and works for Elise and you don't have to care about all the tax and legal stuff. Uh, we never tried it, but we will. We will try. <laughs> and um, yeah, beside that, um, we, we have some 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 core values we try to to influence in every head. So we, we have a lot of events to to celebrate these.
5: And yeah, more or less that's it, I would say. For values and trying to say these are these are what are this is what this is what we like, this is who we are. Yeah. Um, yeah. generally that's a good idea. We we kind of left that a little late. Like we didn't really put that in writing because when everybody was in one building and together all the time, it was pretty easy. Just you know, no one could quite put their finger on it, but everybody knew what the culture was. And as we started to have offices in other countries or different departments or different offices like shit we better write this down because we're going to end up with this hydra of different uh, you know cultures and different offices um but a, a few of you mentioned hiring so one thing that is true about hiring is that almost everybody believed that really you had to sit down in front of a, a candidate to really get to know and, and guide them but there's also plenty of research that says we humans are really awful we, we think we're way better than we really are at kind of assessing people and and reading people so um it'll be interesting to see longer term whether hiring this way uh remotely and not being able to to meet people actually leads to better results over the long term you know more more people that are actually a better fit or good performers but what's been people's experience with hiring and how in a remote setting have you tried to like get at the like who is this person? It's easy to see their LinkedIn profile and their CV, but how, how have people tried to imitate the personal connection when you sit down with somebody
4: in an interview? We've just used Zoom, I mean, you really can't recreate the in-person experience digitally just yet. Um, you know, and I, and I do think that there's something to be said for in-person meetings because you know, 200,000 years of evolution is not, Going to be undone by one year of COVID, but um, you know, technology is just not yet at the point where people or in-person re- um, interaction is completely replicable um, digitally. But that's not too terribly far away, and the, like you pointed out, there's a lot of. Um, a lot of you assume a lot of things when you're meeting people in person. Like you assume that you're able to to read them a little more than you probably actually are. And what I like about the remote hiring is that, you know, it kind of forces everyone to remain very objective. You know, we um, there's not, you know, whatever kind of uh, psychological uh, there's not as much of psych- you know, subjective. Um, psychology involved in the decision-making process. There is, of course, some degree of bias that all humans are going to have when they're um, deciding on who they like the most and what you know they want to hire based off of, I don't know, childhood experiences or whatever. I'm not a psychologist, but um, it's definitely mitigated by the, um, having it remote, right? Because you don't have as many of those um, data points to go off of. But I've not had a... I wouldn't say that it's really been any more difficult. Uh, what I found Found that uh, you know the, the actual hiring um, process is many more difficult, but I found that this kind of shocks me is just how hard it is right now. Even though you know across the world there's a lot of unemployment from uh, from COVID, or at least there was for a short while it's, uh, at least here in the US, it's very hard to find uh, certain roles. I mean, people are in very high demand. And one thing that COVID did that's good and bad is, you know, we're located in the Midwest and we're a very unusual startup in the sense that, you know, we're Sequoia backed. We're the only one in the Midwest that uh, were Sequoia, or at least the only one in Ohio that worst Sequoia ever led around an investment, right? So we don't have a lot of peer start. I mean, they, they exist, but at least in our domain, we don't really have a lot of, uh, you know, peer startups in this area compared to what you would have out in the Valley. And um, it's nice because what's nice about COVID is we can hire the same talent pool. We're not, you know, it's not like the talent pool is separate. That's uh, We're not limited to people who are in Ohio. We can hire people anywhere. But at the same time, that's also a challenge because now you're competing with, in terms of like wages and things, you're competing with people in very, very expensive areas who are used to paying Twice, but people pay in certain areas, in other areas. Um, luckily, with the fund.
6: The wow. um, so, since since you you raised, did you do that raise with Sequoia pre or post uh, pandemic?
4: During or post? Yeah.
6: Okay. So, in, in with the hiring, I mean, we started initially out of the Midwest, and then we we went out to New York. And the hiring obviously is is much different, you know, the in person and such. Have mm-hmm. you found that you know when in in hiring? remote and on either the coast that you're finding different talent pools or are you finding different qualities of people and even if it's related to the pandemic or not of people moving out of or back into you know local areas
4: I wouldn't say that there's any one area where you see I mean there's definitely on the technical side on the engineering side just in the traditional tech hubs you do see more talent because people, you know, had to work there in the past. So if you want someone who's experienced and a very good coder, most likely they live or have lived at least in a, um, in a tech hub like San Francisco or, uh, anywhere in the Bay area in general, um, Austin, Boulder, Colorado, you know, you name it uh, There's a handful of places, but, um, outside of the developers, it's more of a mixed bank. You see people kind of all over the country who have, you know, like in sales, for instance, being remote, if you're in a sales role uh, for a SaaS company, is something that's kind of normal even pre-pandemic, uh, right? There's there a lot of remote people. Um, so you find you know, great salespeople are located everywhere you can imagine. It doesn't matter really where they're located because they never had to be uh, local to one area. Does that answer your question? Or yeah, miss-
6: what I find is it's interesting. I mean, it just sparked a, um, a thought in my head where You know when VCs are looking at different startups. Obviously, you being from the Midwest, and I know how hard it is to find you know Midwest VCs. And you know we we looked all around too, Um, but in part in valuations, in how much you raise, you know if you're from the Midwest or whatever location you're at is sometimes tied to your you know your projections of who you're going to hire, and that's greatly tied to the location that you're physically at. So you know I wonder either valuations or within the projections that people should really kind of start looking at the either the high end of talent since if you're looking everywhere else like median uh salary for a like a a mid-level or or a senior level developer in, in Detroit is way way different than New York or San Francisco right and what you would raise in order to get that type of talent is very different as well so it's just kind of an interesting kind of puzzle to fit together
2: So what are your strategies on hiring? Are you doing, I don't know, more active sourcing or do you work with headhunters or do you have a lot of inbound? So what is your strategy on on hiring?
4: A lot of, uh, we do use headhunters, uh, you know, recruiters. We use a handful of recruiters for uh, different roles. Um, We're hiring an extreme pace. We've hired 20 people so far this year um, in 2021 alone. So, and that's, you know, it's almost like a, we're getting close to like where would be like a one to one ratio, and uh, over the I mean, it's actually probably is a one to one ratio over a six month period, like one new hire for every employee we had, you know, over, um, within six months. I would say, of um, of December, um, so that's that's kind of a projection that I have right now of how fast we're going to be hiring. And so to do that, you have to be very aggressive. Uh, we don't have a lot of inbound. Uh, we, we do have a lot of inbound applicants, but I would say that you know the majority of people that we hire. We use Recruiter. We have someone in house who does a lot of recruiting for us. Um, you know, because recruiters are extremely expensive, and it made sense to hire somebody to focus on that and focus on HR. And so, we've hired someone for that who's been helping. Um, But it's a lot of outbound uh, to, because the bar is really, really high, right? And so, when you have inbound, I'm not saying the people who apply are bad, um, but they're looking for a role, and that sometimes means that the, on average, the, the pool that you're getting is not as um, you know, as exciting of a a group as the ones that you go after proactively. And so, you know, while I don't really care what the source of somebody is, if we find a great candidate, I don't care where they come from, we'll hire them too. Um, I I would say the majority seem to be ones that we've reached out to. Um, We also have a program in the company now that we've implemented recently where we uh, have like a referral program where we encourage people to let their friends know about openings we have. Mm -hmm
5: a guy that gets a lot of things done sitting across from somebody with a pint in your hand. I'm just, <laughs> I don't want to be, I don't want to make a UK assumption, but I, you know, I I can recognize another, an, a, another beer swiller when I see him. So I'm sure that was part of your recruiting plan. And, and earlier, you know, when you were, would be hiring anyone ever, you would, that would be part of what you would do. How, how did you kind of work around that personal element and say, okay, now we got to hire people I've never met. Just make them drink a beer in front of Zoom camera. I mean, that that would do it.
3: So, so for sure, for sure, if anyone's in, in Manchester, I do like a beer. So, uh, if you're passing this way, I'll I'll take you to a, a local watering hole if we're allowed to. But um, we um, so so I I spent a long time in the army before I, I, I started doing this, and I, I worked in some some really high performing teams. I was in the special forces, so I've got a I've got a sort of an element of understanding as to what you know what works in the team. And and, and it, its attitude for us is, is is the big thing that we look for. So you know having a, a base level of skill set that achieves a certain milestone uh, that's relevant to that particular role. But it, but for us, it's attitude. And you know it's when and because we don't we don't know what the answers are. You know we've got so many problems that we've overcome certainly in the last twelve months, and we've got a million more that are coming our way. And there are generally two types of people. There are the type of people that would that would sort of see a problem and look to ask somebody for an answer. And then there's another type of person that will go. <laughs> I've no idea what this is, and they will then go off and find out and work out, and that's that's an attitude. That's you know you can't measure that on a CV or, or where somebody went to school. And there, there are certain things you can extract from the CV to try and ascertain whether they've got that. You know, are they as a person been willing to put themselves outside of their comfort zone without being forced to do so is always a good indicator. So you know, um, sports people generally can you know high performing sports people that normally sort of fits that mold. Uh, you know, any sort of uh, adrenaline type. We've got some climbers here who like to climb some, some crazily scary stuff, and they they definitely like to sort of they live outside their comfort zone on a regular basis. And and having that sort of attitude really um, uh, it, it it bridges it bridges any kind of a quality uh, any kind of a quality matrix that anybody wants to look at because you're not hiring based on what school they would do. You're hiring on whether they've got the attitude to, to to sort of come and get after it. And with and like I said, with so many challenges that we've had over the last couple of months. Without that group of people, with that right action, we would we definitely would not be where we are now because we we you know we just continue continually sort of punch well above our weight, and that's down to attitude. Uh, how do we how do we sort of measure that? It, it's I don't know. There's no sort of real matrix uh, that you can or that we found anywhere that you can measure it. And doing it over Zoom or Skype has been a lot more difficult, and we've just been I think a lot more thorough in that that assessment. So. Um, uh, taking the time to, to do like a pre-screening without any pressure just to try and find out what the personality of the person is what fire their buttons what they do in the spare time what type of friends they keep you know what uh, do they have friends do they not have friends are they um uh, you know sort of a, a bit of a loner and, and we, we sort of spend a lot of time just filtering these guys through to get them to the point before we even start talking to them technically because if they're not of that right of the right attitude we, we don't want to waste it any more time so it, it, it's it's been difficult, but um, I, you know, we, we we somehow do it, and we we also had our sales guy is an ex recruiter, and um, he spent ten years in the recruiting world, and he's brought a lot of those skills. the the things that that that, that judgment call that he can make in a very short space of time uh, has enabled us to move very quickly and, uh, and and get some of these guys on board.
5: Yeah, like the iconic picture if you were drawing a picture of like startup life. There's a big whiteboard. It's late at night. People are eating pizza shit's happening ideas are flying around you're pivoting um but that's been impossible to really do and almost impossible to replicate that frame to get people together in front of that whiteboard for those late nights of those those big ideas um i mean when when techsoft started there weren't really whiteboards we used to use chalk and a chalkboard or i can't remember it might have been a stick drawing in the dirt but no there were whiteboards um but the you now, how did how did you work how did you deal with that? The fact you not being able to get people in a room for a lot of those really early decisions that need to get made, or um,
3: that's probably like, been our hardest challenge. We, we we all unanimously missed the whiteboard so much, and that has for sure been one of our biggest challenges. Uh, I think.
5: Opportunities that no one has created a good whiteboard experience. On okay. Okay. Our-
2: oh. Did you try to mural
5: or mural the, the? Yeah, mural.
2: It's not, not too bad. I mean, uh, we also had to hustle with whiteboards, but uh, we, we switched to it two weeks ago and we already had three workshops with this tool. And it's the first tool where I would say it goes in the right direction for doing this design sessions and to work together. And you can link them with your JIRA board and everything else. I mean, it's it's a pretty cool cool thing. They also have a startup program you can apply for. it. <laughs> oh. Right. i've not heard of these
3: guys i'll check them out i, I will check
2: them out i, I think the,
3: the challenge though that we've we've seen is that you, you, um what happens in uh, online um, whiteboard sessions is uh, it's the same three people that talk all the way through this uh, and you get lots of you know the, the guys who might not be as confident or as loud I, i'm okay because I'm, I'm usually the loudest in the room so i generally do participate but you find that the, you'll always get corners that people can hide easy whereas in a room it's a bit more dynamic people are a more relaxed and and you can get, uh, we find anyway. You can get more people's voices. That that when you go online, people tend to just sort of stay, stay back, and stay a little bit quieter.
4: I, I yeah. feel like it existed before, um, and when people were in the same room, though, a lot of people would. But I mean, you'd have that same dynamic. You'd have people, you know, two or three people who would talk a lot, and then a lot of people would be very mm-hmm. quiet. In the, but. Um, you know i mean so we've we've been had to be very proactive in getting certain people to engage if they're very introverted and um and i haven't seen much of a difference between online and in person for that if anything i think that they're a little bit less shy online than they were in person There's a lot of the developers we work with you know i'm not going to point anybody out individually but you know as a almost like a rule of thumb they, uh, a lot of developers tend to be more introverted so you know Group presentations, especially in person, seem to be a little bit, seem to be something that kind of um, freaked them out a little bit. So we've had, we've, we found that um, to be really effective. You kind of want to keep that group size down, even yeah. whether virtual.
2: Yeah, makes sense. We we had the trouble in the first place of the pandemic season is that we sometimes had the situation. Okay, there were a couple of folks online already, but there are still three in the room <laughs> in the office, and then you have this hybrid situation. Yeah, yeah, and this was. This is really crap because then you have uh, inertia in this room and these three are talking and you have the body language and the outside world cannot really focus on it. So we came up with some, uh, yeah, we call it guidelines for, for collaborating in remote sessions. So at least there's a rule in our company when there's one guy from outside joining the session, everybody needs to join via his PC to just overcome this problem and also we have a rule that everybody needs to activate their webcam because at the beginning, it was still, okay, I don't have to show my webcam. Or we're, we're also dealing with a lot of huge companies in Germany, at least like the automotive sector. You still go in workshop where 10 people are there and you are the only one with the camera on and you say, okay, what's happening here, man?
5: <laughs> if anybody's remote, every, everyone's remote because then you end up with a two-tiered system like people in the room and the person out of the room. It's also a strange dynamic where people in the room Slowly but surely, if it's a powerful person outside the room, they're just talking to the yeah. to the person, like talking to the phone that's instead it. of talking to someone else. Um, yeah, that's pretty. That that is definitely an interesting dynamic. That's very hard to work around. But but mural is a, a good suggestion. Um, go, sorry, go, go ahead. On oh, no, all oh, I mean,
2: we we have more the problem that our office. I mean, we uh, got a new office in. Uh, February last year, and we have to close it in more or less in April, and uh, the office space is pretty open, so I'm, I'm curious what happens when we're all back because everybody is uh, talking via Zoom or Teams all the time, so I think it will be very crowded, <laughs> so when everybody is just, I mean, we have just four meeting rooms, but already 30 people, and all are meeting virtually at the moment. Uh, I assume that will change a lot in the, in the near future.
5: I think Zoom is going to replace lots of face-to-face that we were doing that we didn't really need to get on a plane for certain yeah. things. So in, in the time we have left, let's imagine that it's 10 years from now, there's another, there's another pandemic, COVID-25 or COVID-29. Hopefully um, not, man.
3: hopefully <laughs> yeah,
5: not. The, you know, there's, there's someone that, that, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's in the startup phase of a company. And they they say, oh shit. And like, what's going to happen you know what's your advice for me you've, you've lived through this what, what would you what, what would your advice be what, what would you tell them like right, focus on these things or what, what would be your advice just to somebody going through what you've just gone through and are still in the middle of my my
6: advice would be don't don't get distracted uh just because a situation comes up doesn't mean that you need to Rush and address and be the hero of the thing. I mean, this this is a thing that we did. I mean, it initially started as just a side project that one of our developers was really interested in, and we started this thing called Makers Against COVID, where we had this network of people using our software, and we wanted to, you know, get people who needed PPE equipment and, you know, fit them with with our folks. The and we, you know, spent a couple of weeks, you know, prototyping and pushing out an MVP with that. The issue is, is that that pushed our timeline off for our core product development, even though it was, that was, it's great, you know, to show the team's adaptability and that they're being innovative and working on something with a greater purpose, but you don't want to compromise your core business objectives, uh, what you actually need to hit um, unless you as the founder and and the leaders in the company see that if, is this situation that's happening globally going to affect our core business objectives and how do we have to adapt to that? So I think just f- focus and being much more strategic-minded instead of reactionary is um, extremely important.
4: I would add, don't overreact immediately, uh, because I know a lot, of, a lot of startups, when the when the virus hit originally, they, they kind of made a lot of assumptions about what was going to happen economically as a result of that, and they let a lot of people go. And I think that they did it way too quickly because... Um, I understand the temptation to do that before, when you think there's going to be an economic downturn, but you know the economy did come back, and a lot of those people that they let go are going to be extremely hard to hire back on now because there's so much demand for those for that talent. And um, unless they had to let them go for economic reasons, you know they're probably regretting that at this point. Um, the other thing I would say is take the virus seriously and 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 focus on the well-being of your employees, and they will. Um, and they'll be more productive that way. I know that we were very, very proactive and, you know, like mandating work from home before was mandated by the government um, and making sure that people felt taken care of and making sure that people had the right equipment that they needed, that nobody needed to go into the office regularly for anything. Um, you know, the company would pay for, um, you, you know, like we gave people an extra bit of money to help with um, any kind of like. Bad Wi-Fi they might have at home, uh, like if they, need, if they didn't have fast enough home internet or something, then we were you know we paid more for them to um, upgrade. And I think that you know when people feel like the company cares about them, uh, because it does, and, and you're caring about your employees, they're they're relaxed, one less thing for them to worry about, and they're not distracted by the um, pandemics as much, at least in the work context. And as you know, Mike pointed out, uh, focus is extremely important, and they won't be able to do that if they're worried about you exposing them to a virus, or you not doing what they, they'll need you to have done <laughs> to be able to be productive. So if you take care of them and you're proactive about it, then your productivity really won't go um, down. I mean, I don't know what this virus would look like in ten years. Maybe it'd be different than this one, but um, if it was exactly like COVID, you know, uh, I'd say that that would be the recipe to get through it successfully.
5: Take care of your people. I- that, that would be your points, Daniel. How about how about you? And we'll let Sam have the last word.
2: Yeah, I would first of all agree to Mike and Paul. I would see it the same way. Um, maybe one addition. Uh, at least in our situation, we also had it or saw it a little bit as a chance in this in the in the situation that we were not ready with our product, and uh, some of our competitors are still a little bit ahead of us, maybe. And therefore, we had somehow time to develop more, and the market was a little bit um, yeah, slowing down, at least on the sales part. So everybody was, okay, what, what happening in COVID? Will it change? Maybe save budgets for now, freeze them, and we will reinvest later on. So uh, at least if you have this situation at your startup at this time, I mean, you can also see it as a chance and say, okay, you can more or less develop your product uh, and speed it up and you you are back when the economic is also back and you get this momentum and say yeah here i did the i, I used the time and i created a, a great great product for you guys All
5: Right, sam what advice would you give to yourself yeah. else in that situation?
3: i think you've got to always bear in mind you know within every within every crisis there's opportunity and you know we we definitely saw that um we we were due to start a project on the first of April last year uh, with with the with UK automotive manufacturers, and on the I think it was like the thirtieth of March they all unanimously shut down pretty much overnight. So we had to go back to the UK government, who just give, awarded us half a million quid to to carry out this project, and say um, we've we've got a problem. everyone's, everyone's shut, you know. So, you know, so we had to go back and request a change, a slight change in scope. And the scope was to change it from automotive to, to general manufacturing. And, and that was the biggest catalyst for us. And then suddenly it opened up a whole new world to us that we exploited. And while other people were still sort of worrying about, um, you know, what, what was go- what the impact of COVID was going to be, we, we we were out charging after people. And fast forward 12 months, we, like I said, at the start of the call, we were about to sign this. this, this If 12 months ago you just said we are about to sign this contract, I just, on no level would that have even crossed my mind. I mean, it was just so ridiculous. Uh, and, and it's because we, we, we took the opportunity to advise this. And um, um, that's what I'd, I'd say to anybody. You
5: said you had a story about where you're sitting. Do you want yeah. to- wanted...
6: Yeah. I'll yeah. tell the story in a second, but I only make one last question and comment. Um, from a productivity standpoint with from for our employees, more so than COVID, uh, actually the political situation was more impactful on productivity, um, you know, what happened over the past year. I think partially because once COVID hit, there was a period of, okay, like, we're getting a handle on this, we're safe at home, we're just going to stay stay put, and we're going to be safe, as opposed to the political situation, all of our people are, you know, very intelligent people and, and active, and, you know, that, I would say, hopefully COVID doesn't happen, but also, hopefully, uh, global stability and stability at home politically is is a major objective for productivity uh, that compounded on each other definitely hurt but the political situation
3: definitely was worse really you would say I, i've only watched from afar what's happened in the us and um uh, with, with, i've got i've spent so much time out there and i've got lots of american friends and I, it's been astonishing what i've seen over the last 12 months
6: yeah, well, I think the part of the biggest reasons are, are one, our team is is very, very diverse. Um, so, I mean, we, we have people from a lot of different backgrounds that, you know, were affected by, you know, what happened in in May, June of last year with George Floyd and, and people being very active and wanting to be involved with their communities with, with all that. But also on the political spectrum, too, you know, uh, most of the people that, that we work with are living in, in bigger cities so that they have... You know, more of a left-leaning background. I mean, I think that just comes to nature with some other bigger cities' population. But the main main point being is that a lot of people wanted to get active, and um, you know, we're we're definitely hoping for just stability and uh, sanity. So that that's what I'll say about that. I don't mean to make it a political conversation, but I would I would say just stability in in general is is the biggest. Um, you know, hindering some of the productivity
3: and why are you sat where you are that was the other question as well oh
6: yeah okay so um yes yeah. so the building that i'm in right now is is one of the most iconic uh american manufacturing buildings out of detroit so where i'm at is um the old gm and united auto workers training facility and this is where gm you know one of the monolithic manufacturers you know ever and the UAW, one of the most powerful unions came together to create this 420,000 square foot training facility. And it's got its own huge high bay and basically mock production line where they'd bring people in from all over the country. So there's all these robotic arms, stampers, these gigantic pieces of equipment. And, you know, with the dissolution of their partnership, because of what happened with the UAW and with the pandemic, this building was up for sale. And, you know, I've had the the pleasure and the opportunity to basically work out of here just on my own. So it's interesting being part of manufacturing legacy, you know, as all of us are kind of in that engineering spirit um, and kind of being part of the new wave. And hopefully, you know, new, new methods will prevail in, in management because that is, you know, we've been talking a lot about management and how to adapt and, and run our businesses in this conversation. So. Hopefully those types of things will um, be mended here.
3: (laughs) It looks like a very big building on your own there, Mike. I'm just looking at it now.
1: Um, But anyway, I know that your time is super precious. I hope it was a a useful conversation that some good connections were made. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot for joining. Have a good rest of your week and good luck with all of your efforts at hiring, finding customers, getting funding, making great products and all that stuff. Great stuff. Thanks, Thanks, Ron. Cheers, guys.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Beyond 3D podcast hosted by TechSoft 3D. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review or subscribe on SoundCloud. To listen to past episodes or learn more about TechSoft 3D, visit www.techsoft3d.com forward slash blog. Send us comments and suggestions at infotechsoft 3 dcom Thanks again for listening and we hope you'll join us again on the next episode of Beyond 3D.